Welcome to Booked. I'm Olivia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. This is the second installment in our Noir at the Bar live reading uh, series that we're bringing to you. This episode's author is Caleb J. Ross. Caleb is the author of charactered pieces Stranger Will, As a Machine in Parts, I Didn't Mean to Be Kevin, and the recently released short story The Lipidopterist, which is what he'll be, uh, what you guys will be hearing tonight. Yeah, like Livia said, we'd had him on a few times, so it was nice to get down to St. Louis and actually meet Caleb and, and spend some time with him and drink his very nice smoky scotch. Yeah, my first time ever drinking scotch. I'm sure <laughs> I mentioned that already, but very, very proud of it. So, um, yeah, you know, I'm not going to say anything else about the story. I think we're just going to let it speak for itself. So uh, here's Caleb J. Ross with The Lipidopterist. Okay, J comes before L. So uh, our next reader is uh, also from Kansas City, Caleb J. Ross. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Um, I, uh, Gordon is not going to sell himself, but I will do it for him. Major inversions right here. I won't look it up. He has his business cards on it. I won't look up. It's fantastic. It's uh, if, if you're a fan of anything that's uh, very dense and very witty, like in a, in a good way, not dense in a bad way. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's really good. Very funny, like line by line, one of the funniest novels I've ever read in my life, entire life. And it's not just because I know him, but that's it's partly because I know him. So, <laughs> I, uh, and before I before I start reading, um, I do want to uh, be a little salesy here, and I apologize for it. I'm not usually like this, but that's what everyone who's salesy probably says. This, uh, this Stranger Will, uh, fantastic, fantastic. Uh, as a machine of parts, uh, very good. It's full of pictures, if you like pictures and illustrations. That's, that's fun stuff. That looks like a stain. <laughs> it does. And there's some stains in there, some uh, metafictional stains. And then uh, character pieces, which I think is really, that, that's actually a foot growing out of a stomach, but if you cover it up, it kind of looks a little gross. So there's that. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I do have the capability on my phone to take credit cards, so you can't just push me aside like some homeless guy who doesn't. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, thank you. I, I have one of two pieces I, I, I can read tonight, and I only read one of two, but I'm not really sure which one of the two I want to read, so I'm going to randomly pick out someone out here, and they're going to tell me which one that I should read, okay? Um, I'm going to pick this guy right there. Right there. Okay, yes. No, right behind you. There you go. Okay, yes, you. Okay, so we have Tom. What's, it, what's his name? Tom? Tom. Tom. Okay, Tom. Okay. I'll stop very loud. Okay, Tom. I have two stories. I will read one of them. You tell me which one to read. Okay, the first one appears in this collection right here, and it's about a guy who finds a, a fetus next to a railroad track. Okay, okay, that's one, that's one, that's one. Okay. And the other story is not published anywhere, probably won't be published till the end of this uh, next month, and it is about 
a guy who collects human lips. So... I don't dare say otherwise. No, yeah. The ovaries have spoken. I, I, I understand. I understand. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go to this. And I apologize. I uh, didn't have this printed out, so I'm going to have to read it off of this. We'll hope this will work. Okay. This story is called The Lipidopterist. All right. Uh, anybody who's a fan of butterfly collecting probably knows where that came from. So here we go. <laughs> When Vasquez's ex-wife announced her plan to return to gather what the court had determined belonged to her, he was suddenly struck by the size of his collection, a collection he was quickly imagining fractured among so many future yard sales and pawn shops, suffering the same, suffering the same price sticker residue as half of his silverware, half of his furniture, and half of what long ignored boxes lay gathering dust in the basement. His ex-wife never appreciated the collection, now she wants half of it. He catalogs his collection of lips by give. He has some soft that still part that still part like a velvet stage like a velvet stage curtain to cushion last breaths. He has allowed some to firm to petrify their final words in gaping O's and weeping E's. He has lips cracked with age, has some still painted in rouge and dulled reds, has some young, some old. Some thinned and tanned like sun-spoiled earthworms looped upon themselves. <laughs> I like that, you. <laughs> That's nice, I like that. Some still voluptuous as the day he acquired them. Mornings, when the sun lifts above his east windowsill, the collection shines with shellacked syllables and peppers the ceiling in refracted stars. The ex-wife's lips were the reason he fell for her, and the reason they drifted apart. A woman can only take so much obsession. The way Vasquez sees things, if half of everything goes to her, then half remains with him. If given the choice, he aimed for her bottom lip, always jutting slightly below the top. Reaching for him, he swears, if given the opportunity, he'd gladly watch water trickle through their chapped cracks for hours. <laughs> That's gross. <laughs> it really is pretty gross. Uh, <laughs> He has spent the morning softening his home's entrance, removing dust and rubbish and delicate dustpan loads, compressing his collection where possible, minimizing its splendor. But no matter how much Vasquez pursed specimens into tighter and tighter spectral rings and stacked his lips in deep reliefs, the walls remain stubbornly fixed in size, the hallways constricted as a throat. He vacuums his carpet and wipes bread breakfast crumbs from his palate cleft, careful with every motion not to disturb further the already compromised collection. He strives for what he calls a pristine entrance, but differing definitions of such words are exactly why he and his ex-wife can no longer coexist. To her, pristine was a word reserved for royalty, not for the average. To him, the word itself is what elevated the average to royalty. Her lips, he's long insisted, were the most pristine part of their marriage, a marriage he, would nev he never wanted to break from. They met in 82, he a younger 24, her a younger 21. She ignored his cleft and focused instead on his eyes, like galaxies, she told him. So they married. He presented her with a weekly flower arrangement, but as the gesture fell from welcomed to routine, her surprise limpened. The visible excitement that once motivated Vasquez's gifts shriveled as the flower petals that once supported it. 
For their short five years, he collected and pressed the felled petals between the pages of empty family photo albums. These books now hold his lips, the way they once pressed deciduous leaves and insect carcasses before that and the flower petals before that. This morning, preparing for his ex-wife's visit, he retrieved the moldy tones from his basement, brushed the blooms from the yellow pages, stacking them in the center of his living room in hopes of satiating the court order without a deeper dive into his more precious valuables. He doesn't need much time with her today, just enough time to manipulate her face to receive his aim. The doorbell rings. He hides garden shears under his couch cushion. <laughs> Melissa, Vasquez says, and leans for a hug. She sidesteps and gestures to a bald man with a paralyzed face standing behind her. His lips are stretched low, heavy, flaccid jowls. He's familiar, but perhaps in the way the sepia-toned portraits of ancient aristocracy can fool a brain into acquaintance. You said you weren't bringing the lawyer. I would be safer if I did. Safer? That's my word, not his. She smiles the direction of her glare, split between her eyes, one real, one glass. She used to wear an eye patch. Vesquez falls into the glass eyes trance and wonders how long since she'd abandoned the patch. The three of them squeeze into Vasquez's home. He's cleared away only two chairs, so elects himself to remain standing. With the visitor seated, Vasquez suddenly remembers the shears, now wedged beneath the lawyer. Can I get you something? Can I get either of you something to drink? They stay seated, decline. Some cake, then. I have leftovers. Again, they decline, neither inquiring about the celebration that would justify a cake. It's from my birthday, he offers. Well, happy birthday, Melissa says. I, I hope it was spectacular. She lifts the second syllable like a general would when yelling attack. A small slice, then, the lawyer says. He meets Melissa's glare with a soft grin. I, I, miss, I miss breakfast. Melissa, can you help me? Vasquez asks. She, she hesitates but agrees. Her bottom lip is the first of her part to reach the kitchen transom, an image Vasquez would paint if only he knew the logic of a brush. The kitchen, like the rest of Vasquez's world around it, is honeycombed in closed lips. Ves uh, Melissa, ac acutely aware, it seems, tucks her own lower lip behind her front teeth. She speaks in muffles. Don't do this, she says. <laughs> Vasquez lifts a slice of brown cake from the counter. Why is he here? We, we could have been civil. He insisted. I told him about your collection, and he's a collector himself. Lips? Coins. Stamps. He understands the mindset. He thought he could ring you for more than I could on my own. Where'd you find him? He found me, actually. Are you, are you too involved? Let's just get on with it. She grabs the cake and turns toward the living room. The lawyer has stood, examining the relics along the north wall. This one, he says, when the two return to the living room. Is this really a lip? Lips, yes. Shrunken, the way Yavaras do with heads in the Amazon. The bigger, the better. Sizes, aesthetics, rarity plays a more important role in determining value. So these are valuable then, yes? He glances back. He glances from Vasquez to Melissa and back. Not at all, Vasquez says, quick to curb the lawyer's blood rush. In fact, nobody but me even wants them. Vasquez returns to her seat, dropping the plate of cake to the coffee table. About your collection, she begins, luring the lawyer back to the business at hand. The lawyer pulls from his briefcase a stack of papers he claims gives Melissa rights to everything in the house. Vasquez, the lawyer, insists, has no right to refuse any request, considering their unique circumstances, Vasquez's history. 
I wasn't convicted, Esquest says. You were tried, the lawyer says. That's enough. He bites into the cake. Vasquez watches the face, the way crumbs plumb his face's facade, having no true lip, not even a hint of one to give the tiny escapees a break from their fall. Tongue, down to lap. He'd never make it on Vasquez's walls. The trial brought a chasm to their marriage. They had lived happily enough for years until women started disappearing whole, reappearing partial. <laughs> Faith. That's true. Fingers, lips, and fingers, legs, and sometimes lips, gone. Vesquez maintained his innocence. Their parts in his collection, though complimentary in a morbid jigsaw sort of way, were determined coincidental, but only in the eyes of the law. Ex-wives and their lawyers still kept opinions otherwise. <laughs> what about these, Vesquez gestures to the stack of books in the center of the living room that he brought up from the basement? Can't, can't you just take these? I don't want those. Press lipster as good as any on the walls. She rolls her eyes and huffs. To me, they're all junk. I'll probably burn them all anyway, straight from my trunk today to a hole in the backyard tomorrow. Okay, okay, the lawyer interrupts, clanking his fork to the plate. Let's get the nasty business over before things get nasty. He grins for laughter. None. Mr. Hernandez, Mr. Mrs. Hernandez, Miss Hernandez has entitled is entitled to 50% of your property. And unless, you determine, unless I determine her requests unreasonable, she is entitled to her choice of property. I expect the property acquisition to be painless. I'll make it all as painless as possible, Vesquez says. At that moment, air brakes hiss from outside. The movers, Melissa says, ready? I've taken every precaution to make sure that today is the last time we will ever have to speak. Melissa opens the doors for the movers, boys, both of them, one white, the other black, make no effort to hide their awe. Melissa points to the north wall, says, all of those go. But they take the instructions slowly. The white mover surveys the room. Esquez notes a brittle smile growing from above the boy's goatee. Aesthetics. Between the movers and the lawyer, Esquez hasn't seen so much simple appreciation for his collection in years. Those are lips, he says to the boy. All of them? Human lips? The black mover moves in to join the discussion. Well, from where? Tension in the room deflates. Vasquez used, Vasquez used to open his home to university students, stu university study groups aiming to cap a semester biology study. Melissa called the visits intrusions and insisted the students' enthusiasm stemmed from mockery rather than discipline. Vasquez didn't disagree, but mockery still allowed him to speak at length about his collection, a position of authority he was generally not allowed in his home. From all over, he begins, but the, but the lawyer interrupts. Specifically, the lawyer says. I'd actually like to know as well, but be specific. What were their names? The trial is over, Vesquez says. The movers, the movers exchange timid glances as Vesquez shifts his gaze to them and the lawyer. As she said, that north wall, all of it, the boys unfold boxes and stretch packing tape. What else will you be ripping from me today, he asks Melissa. She avoids the stack of pressed photo albums in the center of the living room to approach a low bookshelf just below the wall, just below the windowsill of the east wall. As she kneels, her knees crack and pop. She removes a handful of books, old textbooks, most of them, but one a hardcover, hardcover copy of it, a hardcover copy of an early Vladimir Nabokov novel. This guy was crazy too, right? A lepidopterist, Vesquez says, simply to give sounds to the author's notorious butterfly hobby, letting science vicariously validate his own similarly misunderstood obsession. Lots of people collect butterflies. 
lots of lots of obsessive freaks. The only difference between an obsessive freak and a collector is a market, Vesquez returns. Then find a fucking market, Vesquez. Melissa stands from the book bookcase. She hands a stack to a mover. Sorry, she says, though never meeting Vesquez's eyes. There are still hostilities here, apparently. Her lips quiver, lower, taking the movement, an exaggerated vibration to the upper's barely perceptible blip. They are halves of two separate holes. To a layman, they'd be a disfigurement. To a collector, they are a beautiful rarity. The lips have arrested the room. The movers, the lawyer, and Vesquez all stand immobile by the quiver's wake. Your lip, Vesquez says. He reaches for it. Melissa seems a moment, seems for a moment comfortable with the contact. She curls her the lower into her mouth, skimming the pink with her incisors before finally pulling away. Did you ever plan on stopping this? That's the one thing about a collection. If you choose the right one, it's never complete. She tells the two boys to pack faster, that she's not willing to pay overtime for such a simple move. A simple move. That's her word. You could be the freak, you know. Vesquez covers across the lawyer's chair by exaggerating the statement's final O. Sociologists would say that hiding beauty. Scientologists will be, I guess, got <laughs> Sociologists would say that hiding beauty is irrational and that suppression is the worst kind of crime, an unethical one. The lawyer maintains his position in the chair. Vesquez hovers closer. Your lips are a gift. We all have an obligation to share beauty. I am more than my lips, Vesquez. The lawyer stands, perhaps ready to wedge himself between the two. Melissa dismisses him with a stiff palm. What color are my eyes? That's quite shrugs. Eyes were five collections ago. <laughs> he turns to the movers. If she wants them, I can bring them up and bring up the jars from the basement. I mean, I can, I can do that. Eyes, the lawyer says. That trial is over too. Squez responds. He turns back to Melissa. What else are you here to take from me? She brings her good eye to Vasquez, lets it gloss with moisture. Whatever absence will keep you awake at night, that's what I want. He's, he's mesmerized by the rebound of that bottom lip. You already have that. It's a simple question, Vasquez. Uh, the, the Vietnamese cleft relief, he nods to an elaborate flame, hang to an elaborate frame hanging on the entrance of his hallway. I know you better than that, Melissa says. Oh, okay. The the, the mercy lip plates then. The, the the lips and the plates must remain a single item though. You have boxes full of those. I want something more painful. Alright. The in utero lips then. The one, the one shaped as a pinky ring from North Carolina State Fair. He slides into the lawyer's abandoned seat. The lawyer fails to notice, instead navigates again in the walls. Melissa ponders. I can see that. Oh, sure, okay, okay. I'll have the movers pack that one next. She turns and conducts the movers away from the wall and back to the rear bedroom where she knows the skin ring to be. The pinky ring, though not actually his most prized piece, does hold significant sentimental value. He acquired it one year ago from a flea market vendor buried within this confusion of a standard state fair tripe. Distressed furniture, used clothing, and so much religious craft work that if he were praying, that he, that if he were a praying man, he would have been diverted that day. The fetus lip pinky ring was his trophy for surviving the weekend with Melissa dancing around talk of divorce. Though he ultimately lost that dance, he at least won the ring. The movers return with a piece, fighting each other for closer look. The lawyer joins, leaving Melissa alone. Vasquez wedges his hand under the chair cushion for the shears. Nothing. The panic brings his attention immediately to the lawyer, who stands with the shears palm behind his back. 
Is he mocking Vasquez? Does he know of Vasquez's intention, intentions? Murmurs distort the air. I said, is this really a human fetus? The lawyer says, never pulling away from the relic. As far as I can tell, the shears glisten. And I can assume you have the proper papers? Sure, you can assume that. <laughs> is, is his plan to confront Vasquez? Perhaps attack him? The lawyer takes to the ring with an intimacy Vasquez once maintained, but months of marital distress and damp affection toward objects. The lawyer grants the movers a break, has them cool down in the moving truck cab. He has Melissa scour the home for additional items, leaving Vasquez and he alone. The lawyer drops to the chair adjacent Vasquez and rips the shears in his lap. Her lips, they are beautiful, aren't they? Vasquez studies the man up close. He can count the pores of his nose. They are. That ring, I'm glad you maintained it so well. I was sad to see that piece go. Vasquez dissects the man's face, beardless, a few pounds lighter, a few shades darker. He's the vendor from the state fair. You're not a lawyer, are you? A collector, like you. Nothing like me. These shears, then, he nods to his lap, in case of a burglary or something. Or something, yes. <laughs> he pushes the ring into Vasquez's palm. It's a good trade, I think. I take her lips, you keep the fetus ring. <laughs> There's a lot of laughter. <laughs> it's not the same. The movers are mine. They've seen here what I tell them to have seen. Melissa returns to the living room with an armload of dresser and miscellaneous. A watch, a gift from years past, spills to the floor. She rounds the armchair into the center of the room. She curses under her breath. I'll get that, the lawyer says. He stands, the shears still palmed. You just go on back to the bedroom for more. I'll make sure this first load gets carried to the truck. But he ignores the load and instead follows Melissa to the bedroom. That's never happened before. Forgetting a beer? No, no, forgetting liquor. No, it's never happened. Any kind. Uh, not here, not at North Park. Okay, once again, that was Caleb J. Ross reading his story, The Lipidopterist. If you want more information about Caleb and what he's up to, you can find him at calebjross.com. So what did you think of that story? I liked it a lot. There's something about Caleb that he can just do the weirdest things in his stories, and it's still just really fun when it really shouldn't be. It's not just that he can. He just insists on doing the weirdest <laughs> things. So. Yeah, I think that's the thing we're learning from actually having spent time with him. <laughs> I was I was actually really bummed, as you heard him mention. He kind of had a he had a someone in the audience vote for uh, you know for for the lipidopterist, which I should just stop trying to say because I can't say it without tripping on myself. And I really wanted to hear his take on uh, on his story from Warmed and Bound, which we both really enjoyed. Um, but I'm kind of glad that that I got that I got to hear this instead. So yeah, I felt the same way. I was at first. I was like, oh, please, I'd really like to hear. Um, click clack, which was the story from Warm to Bound, but um, you know, hearing this one out loud was a nice introduction to it. And there's something to be said, I think, for 
for hearing an author read something to you before you've actually read it for yourself. There's got to be, uh, you know, eventually we'll go back and I'll reread this short by itself. And, and I wonder, you know, if it would have been different if I had just read it first before hearing him say it, you know. Interesting you should mention that because just this past weekend, um, the Lip Adopterist is available for to be purchased on Amazon at the time of this recording. It was uh, 99 cents. So. That's right. And if you like us on Facebook, you would have seen that very easy, convenient link to get you over to Amazon to buy that. So if you don't like us on Facebook yet, head over there. You'll see all this cool news that we drop every now and then. You'll see when we have new episodes up and really everything that's going on with Booked. And let's face it, some of you like things like beef jerky. <laughs> yeah, or like waking up late on Sundays and stuff. Yeah, so get with it. All right, so before we wrap it up, a couple quick reminders. There are two intro to episodes that uh, we have up on the website, uh, Intro to Hard Boiled and Intro to Bizarro. And I mention these because we just started working on acquiring uh, an expert for our third intro to episode I'm not going to say what it is just in case it doesn't work out and we have to switch to something else, but it's uh, something we're really excited about. So if you're, if you want to go uh, either learn a little more about hard boiled and bizarre, or just kind of test your knowledge against our experts, you can find those at bookpodcast.com. All right. And that'll wrap it up for the second installment in the war at the bar readings. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. and keep reading. You got all up on that roadhouse corn. Slamming